0: I get Thursday, I know
2: what you're thinking You are late and delivering a podcast And you are correct dun, Because dun, dun. if you haven't heard ETSU women's soccer has clinched There are quarterfinals and semifinal action This weekend, men's soccer has clinched As well, basketball starts on the 30th And exhibition game, and oh by the way There's a football game, so it's in case you're wondering We are busy
0: time We are busy,
2: the year. I'm busy, are you busy?
0: 16th, you're not busy Six not sports busy. at the same time, yeah we're we're all a little busy
2: I had to plug in a different headset. There we go. Not can hear me. Uh, you know goodness. what? I don't need to hear me. Who cares about me? I um,
0: don't need to
1: hear
2: you either, but i are right, here. us so, let's, so start, as well. let's, start, let's start football.
0: Let's start with football. Then we'll talk
2: Dan Scott. After Dan Scott, let's uh, transition a little bit to uh, the pitch. Little little soccer real quickly. Okay. Uh, then after we talk a little soccer, we'll jump into pick six, call it a day. What do you think?
0: Shooty hoops? Preseason polls?
2: Yeah, yeah we probably need to get that in, too.
0: Yeah, talk about uh, basketball, women's basketball, preseason favorite. What's up? Uh, all right, so I'm going to try
2: to keep this short. So we're going to recap the Chattanooga game, okay? It's over. Let's go Furman. All right, let's talk Furman. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it didn't go well. Clearly so, a uh, uh, pretty good team.
0: A very good team. Number three uh, in the country. Yeah, they
2: are. And what happened last week is what I thought. At. Most people said he was going to play, which he did, but by the third or fourth touch he had, he was on the sideline with the crutch that obviously I think changed the complexion of the offensive attack for Western. Although both teams kind of uh, went up and down the field early, the biggest difference was Western can convert a couple fourth downs. Furman was able uh, to get down the field. First three possessions were touchdowns, then they missed a couple field goals, one blocked, one missed, but they got a field goal possession game, was able to have Tyler Huff uh, bust a read option, and everyone went one way, he went another way, and the score, to kind of wrapped it all up, although the whole time, even though I heard Dan Scott's call, when I watched it back, I was like, why isn't sliding? Hmm. Because he could have slid any time during that, took two knees, call it a day, now it didn't matter, because well, Western needed two scores, didn't get the two scores, but didn't matter. That being said, Tyler Huff, pretty good. But where I went with uh, this initial rambling thought and a show that we need to be very short because we have a lot of things to cover, it was the defense for me is why I thought From was going to win the game. And looking back at it, it's the defense again that, you know, we're going to talk to Dan Scott. They got a plethora of yes. two deep backs. So between them and Mercer, they have the most uh, returners of uh, pretty much anybody in the conference. So it's no shock that def- – defense is what doesn't form, and they've got a solid quarterback and Huff that makes the right plays when needed.
0: They're just so consistent. That's the thing, is the, their defense is so consistent, and even when their offense has a blip, and the blips are, there's one or two blips a game where if you don't make a play, you know, Huff will throw a, an interceptable pass, and if you don't capitalize on it, then that's it. You're not getting anything else. No, no turnover-worthy plays for you come back in one year. This is... As consistent and solid, and sans weaknesses of a team as you will find at this level, they're just that good, and it's going to be a, an uphill battle all day Saturday uh, for anybody that tries to go into that place and win. Let alone a team that's only won there twice in the last forty-two years.
2: Uh, you know, and you talk about going in there with Robert Riddle again, your quarterback. You William fifth? Riddle. William Riddle, Robert. Now, uh, if Robert plays um, and William, can we play him at the same time? Uh, no. Is that legal?
0: Robert doesn't have any eligibility left. Well, the then field. that would
2: not be legal. It would be very illegal, yes. William Riddle, the projected fifth quarterback to start the year, will again be the quarterback, and he has even less weapons to go to because, Will you the heartbreaking news that he had the ACL-MCL. Oh, I mean, it was tough to read. We knew the prognosis probably wasn't good on the day. Monday there was a glimmer of hope talking to the team doctor like hey you know if we get this MRI there is a shot you know maybe two weeks and then the result obviously was not that so beginning of the year you had Anaj Carter, you had uh, Will Hussey, you had Noah West, you were hoping Cam Lewis would eventually come back who was your projected starter to begin the year and now you're down all four of those guys and it just the passing game on top of how many quarterbacks you've played just just makes it tough. I mean, just to be honest. And so, um, also last game Zach Teeter didn't play. Maheta Jones ended up getting started right guard. Yep. So will Teeter be back? Uh, Maheda played good. Uh, you know, what, what are they gonna do with him? Uh, they want to keep his red shirt. He's already played two games. So offense some struggles. I think defensively after the first three possessions. Now the first one, ETSU shot themselves in the foot. Uh, had a chance of interception. A couple of pass interferences. One was brutally. I think missed by the officiating crew, but that, again, then the fumble, the touchdown. But after Jalen George stripped the ball, I thought for the most part, all but one possession, that defense was lights out. Now the problem is you can't give up 21 points and then go lights out, right? They've got to be able to kind of keep Furman at bay. And the only knock really on Furman that I can see, and I'm going to ask Dan Scott a little bit later, is just in the field goal game. I mean, other than that, they are solid uh, at the running game, at offensive line. Carry, uh, yard per pass attempt, uh, number of interceptions only four. You know, Huff being a dual threat guy, last year he threw for about 230, ran for 98 yards against ETSU. So uh, a guy that ETSU is going to have to contain because, yes, he will run the ball on called runs, but the problem is, you know, when a play breaks down and you get there but don't get home, that's where it's more dangerous. And he's very good at recognizing man and just taking off and picking up. A lot of things for ETSU. Can they get any first downs? Can they move? Th- I mean, again, the, the, this formula lasts three, four weeks. It's all going to be the same. I mean, can they get first downs? Can they keep drives going? Can they give the defense a little bit of a breather instead of three and out and give the ball back to them? You know, are they, Yeah. what kind of creativity can they do? We saw the wild buck. We've won. Uh, you know, hard, and, and i got to be honest, it would have been hard to do a whole lot of run against the front Dayward's good as advertised. The only people who have done anything on them all year was Western Carolina. And that offensive line gave up its first sack since Arkansas last week to Furman. So, yes, I have my concerns about ETSU pass blocking, but getting rushing yards in this game is going to be a must. I think the Wild Buck is probably a better fit for this week's matchup versus Chattanooga. But ultimately, Furman can get pressure with four, which is exactly what Chattanooga did, which is where ETSU can struggle.
0: Uh, I think any sort of run game is just asking for a guy like DiMaggio to run straight downhill in a big purple and white streak and lay the lumber on somebody. I mean, he hits like a ton of bricks, and he will hit anything and everything that's between the hash marks. So is it probably a better option against this team that's going to try to pin their ears back and come after you, and then you just run right by them? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, but I'd still try to get the ball laterally as much as I could and, and make this Furman team run because there's just, they they play so well up front and that that defensive front opens things up for Blackshear to kind of headhunt the football and make plays and take some risks uh, and, and really focus in on the quarterback as much as he focuses in on his receiver assignment or pass defense assignment um, and do some things. And, He's missed some opportunities as well this year, but the back end of that defense is nasty, and the defensive front plays so physical. uh, I I don't really know that there's much that you can do. But to your point, Jay, it's hard hard to really sit there and poo-poo the defense when, I mean, they're out there for 36, 38. They could be out there for 40 minutes this week. Uh, Furman's that good in the run game. They're good at sustaining drives. Um, And when you're out there that long, yeah, holes open up. And a team that's good enough to take advantage of those holes is going to take advantage of those holes. And if you don't have an offense that can keep pace and exploit the opportunities that the other defense is giving you, well, then you just don't – it's going to be a long day. Um, and, And I don't really think that you can sit there and just say, wow, defense, go make us a play. Well, the defense is making plays. It's just they're out there so much that the law of averages means at some point a play is going to backfire, and against a team like Chattanooga, against a team like Furman, those backfires end up in the end zone.
2: Yeah, especially because, one, you're going against the number one turnover team in the league, and if the offense is having trouble moving the ball, if they turn it over, you're already given a short field with less rest. Now you've got to try Furman, one of the more balanced teams in the league, if you look at, at run pass, just yardages, not maybe plays, ran, but actual yards per game pass, yards per game rush. They're about as balanced as there is in the league. And they're you know, they not afraid to beat you either way. I watched a game where you know, Huff threw like 12 passes and had about 350 yards rushing. I also saw a game where they had trouble running, and they threw for about 350.
0: Yeah, and I expect Furman to be aggressive on Saturday. Sure. Uh, because they need style points because they're competing for a top, not top eight seed, top four seed in the FCS playoffs. And going out and throttling ETSU at home is the kind of thing, given the season that ETSU has had and the state of ETSU's team, that is the kind of thing that the committee will look at and say, okay, you did what a good team or what a great team should do. If they come out and try to sleepwalk their way through it and rope-a-dope this game and try to do what they did with the Citadel and win 28-14, that could hurt them in the seeding picture. So they, they need to come out, score quick, score often, and that way in the second half maybe they bring the starters out for a couple series, see what happens, maybe score one more touchdown, and then you hit the afterburners and um, you just you, you f- get ready for Chattanooga because they've got a big game coming up next week. But they need to they, – they're going to try to win this game early. They're going to try to make it decisive early. They're going to try to break ETSU's will, and it comes down to – all hands to try to push back against that. Uh, if you're ETSU, like the, the thing you're trying to do is you're trying to make this a fourth quarter game and give yourself a chance. Well, you, you can't win the game in the first quarter, but you sure can lose it, and Furman will try to make sure that ETSU loses this game in the first quarter. So I, I think they're going to come out swinging. Um, I think they're going to try to hit a couple home run plays and break the morale of ETSU And once they do that and things start to spiral, then they can think about, hey, when do we want to get Huff out? When do we want to stop? You know, maybe Roberto gets one out of every four carries instead of two out of every three, stuff like that. They're going to start thinking about the big game they've got next week with the potential to more or less wrap up the SoCon title with a win over Chattanooga on November 4th. Let's, Let's just... Let's just leave that. I think that's that's enough said about what Furman is and what they want to do. So to let's let's talk I was gonna say let's talk to the expert. Let's talk to the expert. Let's talk to Dan Scott. Our good friend, the play-by-play voice of the Furman Powers. <laughs> As
1: promised on Thursday, we always talk to the opposing play by play voice, good buddy, long time paladin
2: voice, Dan Scott, actually.
1: know that anybody needs to picture mentally of you and I being naked beside one another. But, yeah, I do get a little excited when the situation calls for it. But, Jay, you've done this long enough, and I think you have the same philosophy as I do. You, you don't fake the excitement. You know, if you do, people catch on to that really quick. But that was a big moment in that game, obviously. And, and when the entire defense is going one way and Tyler Huff is going the other way, it uh, – it, it was uh, a pretty significant moment. Well, and I, I always joke, I said it's one thing when, you know, because we have
2: a bird's eye view sometimes where the viewers don't if they are watching or if they're in the game sometimes they're watching other stuff and you can see it part and you know that it is going to be a score and you're trying to make a call while not trying to, um, you know, be in the moment, right? You're being the moment with the call, but you're also trying to, Not just be a fan, like for me, I grew up going to games in the 80s, so I always laugh and say, hey, I may be a better broadcaster if I actually did another school because I don't have that inherent, like, you know, I went to school as a kid, I'm a two-time alum, all the other stuff. But in the same token, like, there is something satisfying as a broadcaster when you get to see it and you actually have time to give a call what it deserves.
1: Well, and the other thing that we both have done this for a long time, and, and so I don't take it for granted. Times because oftentimes they're few and far between, and, and trust me, there have been more lean times during my 13 years of, of doing Furman football than there have been great times. So when the good times come along, you savor those, and, and you—I I, anyway—I certainly don't take it for granted. I mean, Tom Van Hoy and I have been really, really fortunate over the last year plus, going back to last football season when Furman made it two rounds deep into the playoffs, then to have the basketball season we did with the win over Virginia in the NCAA tournament. We do the Greenville Drive baseball, the high A of the Boston Red Sox. They won the South Atlantic League, and now you've got football back in that cycle again, leading the Southern Conference. A stretch like this does not come along very often, if at all, in a broadcaster's career. So um, I'm, I'm trying my very best to keep it in perspective, but also to enjoy
2: it. Well, I used to like Dan, and then you just rattle that off, and now I'm sad again. Dan, the reason we haven't talked about the game is because I really don't want to talk about the game because one team is, is playing uh, maybe the, one of the best football in the country, at least top four or five you know, caliber type team in the country, top three, depending on the polls and, and sitting on some national seed, and next week, they just played a SoCon game of the week. Next week they'll play another SoCon game of the week, and then you've got another team that's on its you know fifth quarterback. It's at six different people take a snap, and clearly you've been around long enough to know that's a little bit of a struggle. But when you look at Furman, and we can talk about Tyler Huff in a minute, but it's all about defense, and it's not just the 11. It's really the 22. They rotate a lot of guys in, and they all seem to make plays, and they
1: certainly have a great understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. That's been the – The thing that we knew was going to be the strength of this team coming in, 38 in the top, 44 on the two deep from last year returning. So it gives you some options. It enables you to weather some storms, uh, injury storms. You know, one of our very best defensive players, Bryce McCormick, has been out for the season with an injury he suffered back in spring practice and, and won't play all year, a linebacker. But we've got depth there, and you saw the game, for instance, that Evan DiMaggio had making his first-ever start at an inside linebacker spot against Western last week. The thing that's really turned it up a notch in the last two weeks, Jay, has been our defensive front and, and the ability to get pressure with the front four. And it's, it's something they've, they've done all season, but they they found another gear with it the last two weeks. You know, I was talking with Dwayne Vaughn, our D.C., a couple of weeks ago, and he was lamenting the fact that the sack totals were down because, on average, opposing quarterbacks were getting rid of the football in under 2.5 seconds after the snap. And, and that is a fast amount of time to try to get pressure and get to the quarterback well, lo and behold, you go to Sanford, and they get rid of the ball as quickly as anybody, and you sack Michael Hyers nine times. And then last week, you you sacked Gonzalez of Western Carolina three times. He hadn't been sacked at all since the first game of their season. So the, the defensive front generating pressure, and, and you know how this works. If you can get pressure with the front forward, it makes it a lot easier to play past defense and we've had a really good showing the last two weeks against two high-powered pass offenses. Yeah, and to that end, Dan,
0: um, Travis Blackshear has been phenomenal this season. Where has he found another level? I mean, he's always been pretty a pretty good football player, but just seems to make play after play on the perimeter right now for the Paladins.
1: I, I think the biggest thing for Travis has been just some added physicality. It's not that he's ever been afraid to stick his nose in and make tackles, but I think he worked on his body a little bit in the off-season and got stronger without sacrificing speed. And you, you will see him making really, really big hits in the run game, making tough tackles in space, and I think that's been the biggest difference. In his game, I, I wish he could work on his hands a little bit more in the offseason because, you know, he has, uh, what is it, uh, two picks or three picks? Mm-hmm. But but he's dropped probably three more, wow. uh, another potential touchdown or two, and, and we have, as a team, probably dropped five or six potential interceptions over the course of the season. But, um, you know, he's just another one of those veteran guys who gets it, he understands, and, and he's got that cornerback mentality you know he bit on a double fake early in the game down at Sanford and got beat for a long touchdown and while the guy was going into the end zone he was heading back to the sideline tapping himself on the chest saying my mistake I got it and it didn't happen again the rest of the game he was in lockdown mode the rest of the game um, he he's he been fun to watch
0: it does seem like just the, the sheer continuity of this team kind of makes them a bit of a unicorn. You can talk about 38 of the 44 guys on last year's two deep are back. Um, how much has that helped this team forge uh, an identity? And, and is there kind of a sense that, hey, this, this is a unicorn, this is not something that's going to happen very often, especially not in the landscape of college football, to hold a team together the way Clay Hendricks did over the 2023 offseason?
1: Well, see, that's Clay's philosophy uh, at at Furman, and and this is not a knock against any other school in our conference or anybody else, but when Furman says it's an academic first school, it is. And to be a a high-caliber football program here at Furman, it has to be a developmental program. Now, having said that, going back two years, they finally – Uh, instituted a, a graduate program with a hybrid business degree that has enabled Furman to bring in the occasional transfer to help plug in a hole. But I'll tell you what, it's done more than that. It's enabled Furman to keep its own graduate players. Whereas in previous years, we've had guys who have gone on who had another year of eligibility but they didn't have anything academically they could do left in Furman, so they had to go play someplace else. So the addition of that hybrid uh, business graduate program has been an immense help in, in multiple ways. But the philosophy here is this has to be a developmental program. You know, they bring in, you know, like most most schools, fifteen or sixteen freshmen probably every season. But I think
0: Transfer from Presbyterian a couple years ago, but he's been here long enough now that he is basically a, a, a Furman guy. He's not some kind of hired gun or one-off deal. This is this is a guy that's a Furman guy. Um, life's really come together for him off the field, and, and it just seems like he has a really good feel for when to turn up field, when he's got leverage on a defender, when to throw the stiff arm, when to lower the shoulder, when to get out of bounds to protect himself. Like just the the, the overall. Um, the, the honed instinct and, and, and sense of how to manage an offense down the field seems to be there for Huff in a way that, uh, I mean, a lot of quarterbacks around the country are probably looking at and agreeing with Envy.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, last year on opening day, uh, I saw Tommy Spangler down in, in, the, uh, in, in the office because I'm, Jay, I think you're the same way. You know, I get here three, four hours before airtime because I'm my own engineer, and you have to, you have to do that just in case something breaks. You have to have time to fix it. But Tommy Spangler was uh, Tyler's coach at Presbyterian College, and and now obviously is here coaching secondaries and special teams. And I said, Tommy, tell me something about Tyler. I need to know. And the first words out of his mouth were quarterback with a linebacker's mentality, and he, he's had to be coached out of that a little bit because his first instinct is always to try to run over somebody and and the coaches really want him to live to play another day but it's a fine line because you don't want to take that aggressiveness away from him because you see the weapon he is as a runner and what they can do whether it's designed runs with him on the RPO or when uh, protection breaks down and, and he has to to you know, take off to avoid a sack. That is a part of his game that has made a tremendous difference in this uh, in this offense. People don't understand. Not only did he come in last year in the fall, he did not have a spring with this team, but he was coming off a torn ACL. So you put all of that in perspective with the year he had a year ago, and now with the second year in Justin Roper's system and, and you, know, you see the you see the production, it's not going overboard to say that Tyler Huss' play at quarterback has been the difference in this team from 2021 to where we've been last year and again
2: this year. Dan, uh, it took a while to find uh, really anything negative uh, about Furman to uh, ask you, and the only thing I could come up with is there's been a little bit of struggle in the kicking game, right? You, you've got Ian Williams, I think, off for 10. Uh, LaProve's one for two. I, that's about it. That's all I can come up with. What, what has been the, the, the issue at least in the kicking game where normally Furman is
1: at the top of the league in that? Yeah, I, I thought you were going to talk about the broadcasting being a weakness, Jay. Thank you for <laughs> um, Yeah, you know, I wish I had an answer for that because uh, combined uh, Williams and Lapro missed a grand total of three kicks all last year. And uh, you know, for whatever reason, and, you know, you're dealing with kickers. So do it, it, you have to have a reason? Uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the answer is no. Uh, and, and the last week at Western was the first time that we've had what you would call a meltdown in the kicking game where we shanked two punts, missed an extra point, and missed two field goals. But despite that, the one that mattered late in the game, Williams hit. So I don't think it's a lack of confidence. I think it's just something that kickers go through from time to time. Um, The the easiest way to alleviate that, as you know, is just score touchdowns. And and Furman has been pretty good at that this year, better than they were a year ago. Uh, Even the the, the number of field goal attempts has been down. So we'll attribute it to a lack of game practice. How about that? (laughs) All right, Dan, we appreciate it. I'll be there, as you mentioned, about three hours early
0: before –
2: kick if not a little bit before that and uh, i'll see you down in greenville in a couple days we
1: will have some henry's barbecue especially for you my friend uh, here. all right dan i'll see you buddy thanks dan all right thanks
0: i just got one more thing to add on Furman. uh the committee released its top t- preliminary top 10 Furman is third that's huge And they are very much in the seating picture. Western Carolina is still in the seating picture, too. They're ninth. Um, So I I would say that's something to take a look at and say, okay, how do we make a statement that says we're not just here to, we're not just happy to be here? We want to be part of the bigger picture. Um, Speaking of the big picture, the big picture of SOCON hoops was revealed to us yesterday at Media Day. ETSU men's basketball picked seventh in the coaches' preseason poll, sixth in the media poll, and women's basketball was first, the preseason favorite in the coaches' poll, and second in the media poll behind Chattanooga. Uh, looks like it's going to be the Bucks and the Mocs, or everybody seems to think it's going to be the Bucks and the Mocs. Duking it out for the title with Mercer, kind of a lurking dark horse that's got a really talented guard, and Angelina Gonzalez. Stop me if you've heard that before. Mercer has a talented guard. Uh, this is uh, going to be a fun year, I think, on the women's side, and especially for Bucks fans, it's going to be a fun year on the women's side. And then on the men's side, I wouldn't read too much into what ETSU is being picked as, because one, there's a lot of transfers, nobody really knows what they have. Two, uh, I think a lot of these teams I think the top six teams are pretty close together. I think ETSU could just as easily be better than Chat, Sanford, and UNCG, and then Western wins the SoCon, or Sanford, or I mean, any of those teams could win the SoCon. And it's just wide open. Even though Furman is the uh, consensus preseason favorite, they are the pick to repeat. I think they were picked by nearly all of the um, was it the coaches, I think. Yeah, eight of the ten. Eight of the ten picked. Uh, Furman and the other two pick UNCG, and one of those two is obviously Bob Ritchie because you can't vote for yourself. <laughs> I was
2: going to say, that's also skewed because Bob can vote. So Right.
0: So coaches believe it's Furman's league. Um, pl- uh, media believes it's Furman's league to lose. I don't know how true that is. I just think that this is going to be a lot more competitive than oh. how it might look when you try to rank all these teams 1 through 10. Well, uh,
2: coaches for sure think UNCG. Southwestern Western and Sanford are ahead of UNCG.
0: Yeah, I don't... The Langley Twins are back. Uh, Brown Jones is back. So they've got a core that's pretty good, but I just don't know about them. I don't know. When they came here in late February, they didn't just... I wasn't just like, whoa, look out for UNCG. You know, look out for this team. Whereas Western Carolina impressed me. And then, of course, Western Carolina. Demolished ETSU in the uh, SoCon tournament. But, uh, like, that team popped a lot more to me, and they bring all those guys back. Montarius Wilbright was the preseason player of the year. The one guy on that team that doesn't shoot threes with any sort of frequency. Uh, I just feel like UNCG may be a little bit of a dark throw there by some people. I don't know that I agree with that one. But Furman, I understand. I think it's justified. With, especially with Pegues coming back uh, for his sophomore year, just an incredible explosion over the last five games of the season. He went on an absolute tear in the SoCon tournament, hits the big shot against Virginia. He's living on cloud nine. All right, what's the second act look like? I think that's a guy that you've really got your eye on that has the opportunity to prove that he's more than just a flash in the pan. And certainly, had the talent to show that he can be something sustained over the next several years in, in Greenville, um, but I just think this league is wide open. It's it's wide open this year, even though everybody may point to Furman kind of as a default. That's really more of a you have to pick somebody for me on the men's side. So I, you know, again, uh,
2: people have listened to me enough. I don't get really fired up season conference things and all that, and the one thing I did chuckle about was, I think, the misconception of where ETSU finished last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw a lot of people like, well, you you expect ETSU to pick sixth or seventh. I mean, we were bottom of the league last year, got rid of the coach, players, but ETSU finished tied for fourth. I mean, in case people forgot, they tied for 4th were the fifth seed in the tournament due to a tiebreaker and lost that. But I mean, it wasn't like ETSU was seven, seven, ten games.
0: Right. You know, I mean, so –
2: or the 8-9 game. <laughs> yeah, right? ETSU did not
0: play in the first night of the tournament.
2: Yeah, so I, I think they're – I mean, even ETSU fans are like, oh, well, we were bottom league last year. No, no, no. It felt no, it felt like ETSU, maybe, but they were not. They were actually fairly competitive. I mean, they're the top half of the league, if you want to look at it that way, middle of the pack. And I know that ETSU fans don't want to be middle of the pack, and I appreciate that about ETSU fans. But I, I do I, – I did find reading some of that uh, – just some chuckles, because I was like, yeah, it? I mean, it, it was a down year, but it, it, it wasn't awful. Like, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it was, we were bottom of the barrel. I mean, the truth is you could look at, and you could do this they, for a they, lot of They didn't seven lose to
0: Citadel and VMI. Yeah. Which I mean, teams in the past, when it's been real bad, they have lost I mean, to Citadel and VMI.
2: I mean, UNCA, VMI. who was a very good tournament team, beat them at the buzzer with a 30-footer. I mean, yeah. They had, they had a shot to beat Furman at their place. Had a
0: chance to beat Jacksonville State here. Probably should have beaten Moorhead State on the road. Yeah. I mean. a lot of those.
2: uh, So, again, did they win those? No. And that's why there's coaches and all that. But in the same token, like, that was not a bottom team. So, six or seven, I think is, again, still fair because you had three or four people off a team that was the fifth seed, fourth best team last year, and you have a new staff and new everything. So, I think it's probably a fair spot to, to put ETSU. I think the bottom three are right on Wofford, Citadel, VMI.
0: I, I, that, can I can I throw something out here? Yeah. I think Mercer's men could be pretty bad. Kay. I think they could be pretty bad. Um, they Not lost on the
2: Craig area train. Are you? They
0: lost a ton of their secondary guys. I mean, they, they brought back one big gun. They added Carmody in the transfer portal, but I don't. I don't know that I would look to that guy as a solution for much of anything because he's hardly played college basketball. Um, I I just don't – I'm not buying Mercer this year. I'm really not. I I just don't – I think this is going to be – this could be a long year in making. Now, their women's team is going to be pretty good. Um, I'm a big fan of Angelina Gonzalez. I know they lost – they lost their other guard that was supposed to come back. Um, I forget her name off the top of my head. That's how I quickly I purge people that, that leave SOCOM programs. Um, but they uh, they still have some talent, and Gonzalez has some star power. When they
2: finally put her in the lineup.
0: Oh, she was. Which, well, was she came here, remember, like because um, Amoria and Neil Tyser got hurt. Right. And they were like, oh, okay, well, we got to give the freshman a shot. And I saw her play, and I said, why has she not been playing all season? She was a stud. Uh, Aaron Haupt was the player I was thinking of. Aaron Haupt left. Um, they lost the a couple free other starters. Throw yeah, the free throw okay. shooter. Um, so they, they lost some players, but I, I, I did like some of the ones that they have added think a healthy sum of Evans will help them out quite a bit. They're just a, a more consistent player. Uh, they have added some other players via the transfer portal that I think could be very useful. Um, I, I, so and, I, and this is a team that's built to be together for I, a little bit. Too. I was going to say the
2: one thing that I will say is that Mercer's earned the benefit of the doubt and the trust because they've had a couple times where players have graduated and you're going, this is really going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to be at the top. And then next thing you know, they're a top two team. And I think they're, you know, at worst a top three team, right, because ETSU and Chat, you know, consensus one and two, depending on which poll you look at, but pretty much it was ETSU, Chat, Mercer. And so I think Susan Gardner's earned a little bit of like, hey, I may lose a couple, but I, I'm, I'm a pretty good coach. I, I can prove it. So I think they've done that. Wofford, the one on the women's side, is the one I'm not sure – what you're gonna get is that gonna be a that's a that's
0: a total wild card, yeah. I say Summit Evans healthy, like she wasn't. She played 24 of the 28 games last year and won Defensive Player of the Year. But like I just think that, that you know missing that time, missing what four games and coming off the bench for six total. I'm counting the ones she missed. She'd be better. She'll they'll be better served with her in the lineup for all 28, 30 games. Wofford is. Because I just feel like the viewings that I got of them against ETSU last year were either perfectly representative of them or completely unrepresentative of them because they looked like they did not want to be there. Like, they really just – ETSU just – you always like to say, well, both teams want it. It's not about who wants it more, but both teams want to win. ETSU looked like the team that wanted it more.
1: And then when they got going –
0: you know, they started getting to the rim a little bit against Wofford in the first half here, and Wofford kind of crumpled up, and then they started hitting threes, and Wofford was ready to get on the bus. And I just, I, if, if they have got that team to a more resilient place, I think, and, and also a place where they just have, they just need a reliable option on the interior. Because when I watched Wofford at Wofford last season, and I watched that game on TV um, because I, I wasn't there. We, we had uh, another, I think we had a game that day that I was doing on ESPN Plus here at Freedom Hall. But when I watched that game, that was the second game ETSU didn't have Jayla rufus Miller, And Wofford ne- never posted up Megan Downing once. Downing played, she played like 20 minutes, I think, in that. Maybe, even a, maybe a little less, maybe a little less. That 20 minutes is a lot. 12, 15, somewhere in there. She played minutes, and when she was out there, Lily Hatton never bothered to turn, stand on the block and try to body up with an inexperienced post player, get her in foul trouble, get to the free throw line, get your team in the bonus, create points when the three-point shot isn't really working for them. And so when the three-pointers dried up and ETSG started hitting shots, then it just they just fold it up, and I, I don't know what to make of Wap. If they have gotten some sort of interior game, and they're just a more resilient team, I think they could be pretty good. I think Jimmy Garrity's a pretty good coach, but I just you gotta keep that team together on the floor for forty minutes, not not like physically literally on the floor together for forty minutes, but just keep them playing for forty minutes. And they could be okay. But if they're the same Wofford as last year, they're going to get bypassed. They're going to get bypassed by some pretty good teams.
2: So uh, let me recap. For me, the, I think one, two, three women's basketball is, I, I, I think, fairly easy to call right this second without watching the game. ETSU Chad Mercer. From there, the only other team I'm not quite sure what to get, two teams, I'm not sure what to get, uh, one we talked about, Wofford, Ellen Sanford. Like, do we believe that they're going to fall off the, you know, eight players, pretty much taking them off the planet? Because if you look at the coaches poll, they got them seventh. you look at the media, they got them fifth. And I know, again, um,
0: Well, it wasn't just the one player that they lost. It was also um, in lost, So they lost their primary post presence. Uh, They've still got some length on that roster. I think they're – they're a team that's going to be middle of the pack, but they could finish upper middle of the pack for sure. Yeah,
2: okay. So those are two teams. I, don't, I think those, I don't those think like Furman, Furman, UNCG, and Western.
0: I am curious to shot. see uh, Furman with Tate Walters back in the lineup. Well,
2: once Jackie Carson left, I'm out on Furman, so. You know, Jackie
0: was my girl. No, ja- yeah, no. I mean, everybody loves Jackie. It's why she got a job at the ACC. No, seriously.
2: Um, <laughs> so but it, I, it, I think it, Tate
0: right. Walters back at Furman, I'm curious to see how that impacts that team, because to your point, there were times where they just, like, they played hard, but they didn't play well, if that makes sense. But they're just they're not playing right. And I think you, when you have a player that's a veteran that's coming back off a serious injury that cost her an entire year, was it an Achilles, anything? Uh, and somebody that clearly, wa- like, she's not coming back here to eat cake and ice cream. She wants to win. How does that, that player and that leadership figure, Spur a team under a new head coach. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that one. I think Furman could be interesting, um, and if Furman is better, then that's obviously at the direct expense of Sanford and UNCG.
2: All conference preseason for ETSU, Novi Brown, Kendall Foley. No shock there. Yes, for the men, transition a little bit. We know Furman. Uh, it it kind of was the same four teams at some. Former Fashion and Furman, UNCG, Western, Samford. Now, Sanford lost to some key pieces. Western, Furman, I think, returned the most. UNCG returns a good bit, too. So, Samford may be the wild card there. Then the middle of the pack are the next three. I think Chattanooga, Mercer, E-Tissue, probably. For me, I would put both of them above Mercer. Again, I, it, I don't I don't care enough to have a strong opinion on that. And the bottom three are the bottom three.
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, I think
2: that the men's win, I think, was a little bit more uh, – this year, but if I would have, um, you know, just again, because I'm usually pretty honest about that, I probably would have gone firm in a Western 1-2, mm-hmm. then probably UNCG Sanford, then after that. Um, uh, honestly, I probably would have Homer, DTSU, then Chat, then Mercer, and then what everybody else did, uh, Wofford, Citadel, VMI, would have been the way I
0: rounded it. So. Um, I, I think the player of the year race on the women's side is Rose Raven Thompson, and Kendall Foley. And Tate Walters could be an X-factor in that race No, well. I, just, I mean, she's
2: she could right, be. Right, right, right. I, there's, a difference I between, just, there's a difference between all-conference and player of the year. Yes. I think, I think she is numbers. an all-conference player. Yeah, yeah um, And I'm not – I, I want to say it because I don't want it people to think, well, he's not even – no, we're talking about player of the year. That's a different – like, she's a lock – Unless something
0: happens in her, she's she going to be all locked conference.
2: for all conference. I think, I think she's the question conference. is, is she good enough for that next level? We're there is, about there, next is level. there is,
0: no freaking body in this league that has been able to guard Raven Thompson. Yeah. Nobody. ETSU brought in Bree Beatty with that to some degree in mind that, hey, we need an athletic, hard nose four that can guard Raven Thompson all over the floor. That's. You know, th- like ideally, that's how that works. And if that works, then you know, ATS, probably gonna win a SoCon title because I think that was the only thing that kept them from winning it last year was that Raven Thompson was just in- undefendable, unguardable, all through all for all 40 minutes of, of that game. Um, but to me, when you look at the players that are gonna have the biggest impact in a lot of different areas, I think Gonzalez is a great scorer. I need to see more from her defensively. I, I need to see more from her in other areas of the game where I know I'm going to get good production from Rose. I'm going to get good production from um, uh, Thompson, and I'm going to get great production from Foley. I, I really think that this could be a special year for Kendall Foley. Um, she's got her old captain back with her. There's just there's, there's a lot of continuity there. There's The vibes are just immaculate down there in the practice gym. I think this could be a really good year for them.
2: Will Bright was the All-Preseason uh, Conference Player of the Year for the men. Right. No, well deserved. Player I think that's man. fair. Uh, yeah, I would. You know, I was a big. I thought Marshall deserved more credit last year for the Sanford team. Now mm-hmm. be curious to see because he'll be the guy down there. Be curious to see uh, what he can do. And again, you know, we'll just we'll, we'll see how plays. I don't get that far. Yeah, out, I,
0: uh, Bruce Tranberger and I went back and forth about this in the summer like who our top ten players are in the SoCon. And I had um, – um, I had Wolbright one and Marshall two. Top ten returning players. I had Wolbright one and Marshall two. I had Jaden yeah. Seymour on my list, which he did not make the preseason conference ballot. But I think most of the other guys I had on my list did. So um, – right, yeah. nu- It's
2: one of those things because numbers driven, right? And his numbers as the season went along went way up. Cost him there,
0: but Marshall's a Marshall's gonna be a really good player. I mean, he's gonna start, yeah, I like so he should be pretty. I mean, I I was a big fan of Marshall last year, and I I was too. I mean, when he came here to play tissue, he did not put a foot wrong, so just really good player. Um, I'm I'm excited to see him on the floor this year. And and the, the guards that Sanford got in the portal pique my interest. I wonder how how long it's going to take that team to gel. Could they be in a situation kind of like ETSU where with so many new pieces on the back end, you really got to take, it's going to take a little time to figure stuff out. I don't know. Um, I would be very curious to see how that goes. The Furman Paladins. On a
2: short transition into women's soccer. I have no idea how that transition to women's soccer. But uh, well, up Furman's up. not even here this weekend. This is so. great. All right, uh, so, uh, women's soccer yeah.
0: against Mercer. It's going to be a very physical game. Both teams are—they're probably the two most physical teams in the league. There, I think they might be the two most fouling
1: teams in
0: the league. Um, it's going to be a this 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 could go to penalties. I think this could go to penalties. It did last year in Macon, and ETSU came out on the wrong end of a penalty shootout, five-four. But uh, this is going to be a. a this could be a, a bit of a slobber knocker, uh, to, to just to find a way, just, just the, the find a way. The team that scores first wins, and you say that, well, duh, there might only be one goal. Well, duh, yeah, the team that scores first wins. But uh, ETSU is literally 10-0 and 0 when they score first. So I think the team that scores first is going to win, whether that's ETSU or it's Mercer.
2: And that game's going to be 4 o'clock, Summer Center Stadium, ESPN Plus coverage there, and then... After that game's concluded, it'll be 3-6, Sanford, Chattanooga, 7 p.m. Also 7. That should be Sanford. I uh, agree. And then you get Yelton Bowl 5 on Sunday. Yeah, let's go. At 2 o'clock, I believe. And that will also be ESPN Plus. So women's soccer tournament action here if ETSU uh, comes out the semifinal winner and anybody but Western wins out of the other bracket, then ETSU would host the championship game.
0: On the same day as the men's soccer semifinal next weekend. Men have a title decider, potential, well, yeah, it's a title decider. Let's call it that. Uh, Because if they win, they are the outright SOCON champions for the first time since 2017 in the regular season. Regular season title for the first time since 2017. Uh, If they lose, they could still win a share of the title if Furman beats Wofford. And if they draw, they need Furman to either beat Wofford or they need those two to draw. Because uh, if if we if ETSU draws and Furman wins, or rather Wofford wins, it would go back to tiebreakers, and Wofford beat Mercer, so they would win that tiebreaker over ETSU. That's the only difference in their results because they drew each other. So. That's um, th- that's it's, it a, my it's a good money. situation. It's a good situation. It's a good situation. The point, the ultimate point is, it's a favorable situation. There's a lot of scenarios where ETSU comes out on top. But if you win on Saturday, the the rest takes care of itself. I expect Mercer to throw the kitchen sink at ETSU though, because if they win that game, they're the three seed. And you know what the three seed gets in the SoCon men's soccer championship? A double bird. VMI. Oh. They get VMI. It's like a buy, almost. I mean that that's that's one that if you get to play VMI in the first round of the tournament, that's as good as getting a buy, almost. Um, they're not. But VMI is a little bit better this year. It would be the funniest possible outcome if they played one and they're like, "Yeah, we get VMI," and then VMI beat them. But I don't think that's going to happen. So it's going to be a fun one on Saturday night at seven o'clock as well on decision day. On the men's side in the SOCON. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two oh, dork's pick it. watch. No! Pick it! Pick it! It's the pick six.
1: You pick that up all by yourself.
0: All right, quick recap of last week Eastern Kentucky at Gardner Webb. Gardner Webb won that game 35 32. I picked the running Bulldogs, you picked the Colonels. And it was just funny because I'm usually the EKU guy. Like, I beat that drum. Mm-hmm. And the team that beat them in the playoffs last year and beat the pants off of them in Richmond uh, picked a team to win. Anyway, uh, 40-yard line, Weaver State at Eastern Washington. Uh, the Eagles won that game 31-23. You picked the Wildcats. I picked the Eagles. Rhode Island at U Albany. U Albany won that game 35-10. We both picked the Great Danes. Utah at Southern Cal. The Utes, 34-32. You picked the Trojans. And I, I see Um... Ten yard line, Montana State at Sacramento State. Uh, we both picked the Bobcats, and they won that game, forty-two to thirty. And at the goal line, Furman at Western Carolina. You wisely picked Furman. I unwisely picked Western Carolina, and that's the only thing that denied me a perfect week because my extra point also hit. I picked Towson over William and Mary. Towson scored thirty-one in the second half and won 34-24 And you picked Southern Utah. Do you want you want a minute for this one? You want a little time for this one? I tell you, what, tell you 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 what.
2: No, I don't even want to timer. I'll give you I'll give you 30 seconds. Southern Utah was up several scores. Austin P comes back and tied. I have to watch overtime. Austin P uh, blows her opportunity overtime. All Southern Utah has to do is kick a field goal. Kick a field goal between the uprights. They cannot. Then they kick a field goal in second overtime, which doesn't matter because Austin P scored 7 and I hate them. I'm done.
0: Wow, you got 30 seconds 50. in and 15 seconds. I, I don't want to talk anymore about it. That's Southern impressive. Utah may be Austin Peay won the game 48-45, which means for the week I was six and one with my extra point connecting. You were three and three with an extra point miss, which means after week eight I am 36 and 16 and you are 27 and 23. Let's get it started, shall we? This week's games, week nine, 50-yard line, UC Davis at Northern Arizona. The walk-up Skydome has been a tough place to walk up to and win. Montana came out on the wrong end of a result in the altitude of Flagstaff, but Massey says UC Davis 69-31, projected final score of 28-21 to the Aggies. I'm going Aggies. going Aggies. It's Division One football. Give me Dan Hawkins and the Aggies. Uh, 40-yard line, Eastern Washington at Portland State. Portland State is hyped up for this one. Their president did a deadlift. She's like a little skinny old lady. She did deadlift with the offensive line for a hype video. Um, So they're fired up for this one in Portland. Uh, The Vikings are actually kind of decent this year. Eastern's been a little bit of a a roller coaster. Massey says Eagles 59-41, 35-31 projected final score.
2: Massey at 35-31.
0: 35-31 Eastern Washington. That's
2: okay. I'm going. Vikings, anytime an old lady tries to lift weight to uh, get the lineman fired up, I think you have to roll with that. And I hope that she goes in on a Viking ship uh, with some sort of goblet filled with wine.
0: Filled with filled with wine that is actually blood. the blood of her enemies. Yes. Um, I'm going with Eastern Washington. I still think the Eagles are a better team. Portland State roughed up North American this year. <laughs> that's That's your best win? No, thanks. Um, it's not their best win, but it is their biggest. 30-yard line, Delaware at Towson. Massey says Delaware 73-27, 28-21 final score. But the Tigers have been a giant killer in the CAA this year.
2: I would have, if, if Towson would not have won last week, I would have gone the Tigers this week. But I don't think they
0: can do it two weeks in a row, so I'm going Blue Hens. I think I'm also going Delaware here. I, I just, I don't like picking the same teams either all the time but by that same token i just think delaware is a more complete team than william and mary delaware is the team that should be in the seeding conversation for the caa nationally and i think they proved that this week by putting away the team that has torpedoed new hampshire and william and Mary's seasons speaking of new hampshire playoff eliminator 20 yard line the new hampshire wildcats at the rhode island rams massey says it's a tight one projecting fifty-two forty-eight probability for New Hampshire to win and a 33-31 final score.
2: Yeah, I've been hard on Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. I've given him a lot of grief. Um, you know, I'm still going to give grief. I'm going to New Hampshire.
0: Uh, you're doing the thing again. You're doing the thing again. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take UNH what, as well. What thing am I doing? Why are you yelling at me? What thing yeah, am I doing? Where you, where you pick the team that I'm going to pick, because it's, I don't like it when you make sound judgments. Uh, New Hampshire's got the better defense, better defense travels. They'll turn Rhode Island over a couple times, and they'll win this football game. Ten-yard line, Montana State at Idaho. Uh, Massey says Bobcats fifty nine forty one percentage chance to win. Right. It's a 59% chance to win. 32-28 projected final score.
2: This one I, I want to watch. I think it's going to be a great game. Idaho was well, so the name good. of the segment. Right. The... I thought the name of the segment was Pick 6.
0: It's the games kidding. that we want to watch. Just kidding. Just kidding.
2: Uh, Idaho, I was very disappointed. As I, uh,
1: what do What? know. What, 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 what,
0: just going for it?
2: Yeah. I, I, the, the more I have... Thought broke down and talked myself into stuff, and not just going whatever I was going
0: to do. I'm going. Out of I'm going Montana State, man. I, I think Montana State's really good. I think they're really good, and I think they're going to be just. They're going just Tommy. steady. They're just Tommy. steady. Tommy. 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 Steady. Give me. Tommy. 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 Uh, not even Tommy lot Give me Brent Vegan. Hire a Vegan, save your season. That's what they did. They hired him two years ago. Uh, goal line, South Dakota State at South Dakota. Normally, this would not be a game of significant interest. SDSU, 91% to win on Massey with a 31-14 final score. But USD, after sleepwalking in the first half against Indiana State last week, I think they were looking a little bit ahead. They came alive. Dakota Dome's going to be sold out. There might be quite a bit of blue in the Dakota Dome. But USD's got the home field, and they've done some wacky things to South Dakota State on that home field over the last few years. The Hail Mary a couple years ago really sticks out in particular. What do you got? Jack's at Yotes.
2: <sighs> would love to have the number one team in the country go down this week in a rivalry game on the road. I can't but do it. But you're going with That way you can go to the Yotes. Because I know you want to. Everyone else is doing it.
0: I want to. I really want to. I don't
2: think you do. I
0: like John Thayer. John Thayer is a really nice guy. But I like Tyler Merriam more, so I'm going with the Jack Rapids. Extra point uh, counts for us if we get it right. Doesn't count for us if we get it – or doesn't count against us if we get it wrong. What you got? I'm
2: going to go back-to-back weeks. Not good news for the Volunteers. They are crushed by Alabama in the second half. They go to a place where a team is pretty good at home in the Kentucky Wildcats, and this game means more to Kentucky than it ever will to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And I think for that reason I'm going to take the – slash Wildcats better
0: than Should also add, this is a, this must be an underdog pick. It is a touchdown or more dog. Uh, I am also picking an underdog of a very different uh, stripe. Uh, Northwestern State with our dear friend Kevin Bostian. He is KB, I'm KB. Oh, let's go. Someone's O has got to go in Hammond, America, and it's going to be Northwestern State. They're not even at Southeastern Louisiana, are they? Oh, I flubbed that. Someone's O did go in uh, Hammond America last week because Southeastern Louisiana got a win over Northwestern State. Northwestern State is in Lake Charles to play McNeese, and they're going to get the road win at McNeese this week. Touchdown, dog! I love it. There you go. And that's the show. Try it again. There you go. I hit the button. Um, next week we'll recap – Football, but we'll also tell you about what we saw in men's basketball against UVA
1: Wise.
0: What yeah, I mean, was that? Singing. Unwise of me oh, you, you were singing.
2: It was, great. it was great. You're
0: a good singer. Ah, that's not not something that I hear a lot. Is that not something you don't hear? No. Um, UVA Wise men's basketball Monday at seven. After you've been to women's soccer tomorrow at four. And men's soccer Saturday at seven, and women's soccer again on Sunday at two. Come watch men's basketball Monday at seven, and we'll talk about that and ETSU and VMI in football on Jay and Keith on Tuesday. Tuesday, on Tuesday. to cover this week?
1: Oh, you gotta be kidding me!